I am the Watcher. I have been around since the beginning of time, observing the goings-on of the universe. As things happen, other things do not happen, but as a result, those things that did not happen here must have happened elsewhere. And it becomes infinitely more confusing and improbably when you recognize that anything can happen, so every course of events has happened, which makes it even more confusing when you recognize the scope of this universe itself. And I mean, who the hell decided to start numbering universes, creating infinite more, and God, why can't I be in DC? Sure, they have the fetish for the number 52, but seriously, it makes sense there. I mean, there are infinite universes created from this opening monologue, and infinite more watches. My name is Luke, and his is Devin. And we're here with Multiversal Questions, your podcast where we take a look at the comic book multiverses. For starting off our first episode, we're going to be doing the classic What If Number One. What if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? And it's definitely a story that is very much of its time, and it's even completely rips the start of the whole explaining who Spider-Man is. Oh yeah, it's li- like yeah. at least like the first seven or eight pages are just complete reprints of Amazing Spider-Man number one. Which, I mean, isn't bad if you're trying to introduce people who've never read Spider-Man comics to Spider-Man, but the question is, how does that happen? I would agree. I mean, a lot of things that you're trying to get here that it references, you would really need to know like the early beginnings of both Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. I've read much of the original Amazing Spider-Man run, not quite as much of the Fantastic Four, so some of those references, I had no idea what was going on. I was in a pretty similar situation for both until I had read that recent Spider-Man series where they went back and introduced uh, the Sonic guy. Uh, I oh, learning to crawl. Yeah, okay, I had yeah. no idea that Spider-Man had so much problems early on. But I've been more of a animated cartoon follower who got into comics really about five or six years ago. It's about the same for me. We both have an interest in comics and a love of the multiverse. Yes. So we're presented with the scene where everything diverges and the Watcher sort of comes in and he's like, I am the... Well, you do a better Watcher voice than I do. I am the Watcher. And stuff was different. I mean, it goes right up to the point where Peter makes the decision whether or not he's going to join the Fantastic Four or not. Actually, basically right up to the point where Reed Richards point blankly tells him we have no, no money. money. <laughs> no money to pay you. Because Reed Richards is one of those people who definitely exploit interns. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, early Reed Richards is an asshole and he sort of needs his wife there to... Uh, Early pull. Reed Richards yeah. is sort of an asshole. Okay, any Reed Richards where he doesn't end up having people to smooth his edges are just the worst people in the multiverse. Yeah. Well, and even then, half the time when I read Reed Richards, I get this really uncomfortable feeling that he's judging me even though he's not real. Oh, man, he just, I mean, he just takes the fun out of everything. Yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, there was the, my favorite scene in the probably in the first What If was just Johnny Storm flying around, talking to Spider-Man right after, like, their little battle. And next thing you know, Reed Richards has just pulled a fire hose and just hoses down the torch and makes him fall to the ground. Yeah, normally in the uh, Marvel Universe, Reed flat-out rejects Spider-Man and Spider-Man goes off to go and uh, read Ayn Rand. 
and be generally horrible at life, and instead, Sue suggests that, hey, maybe it might be good, and Rita's like, if we did have Spider-Man, we could have a better team. You can bring in some more muscle for us. And everyone's like, oh, but I'm the muscle. I'm Ben Grimm. I'm the thing. And I'm already the cocky teen superhero, because I'm Johnny Storm. You use the same voice for both Ben Grant and the thing. You gotta have Aquafina's favorite nephew talking like this. There. And I don't really have a good Johnny Storm impression. Hey kids, I'm on fire! One of the things that I guess that changed here, which was kind of for a cool thing that I thought, was you have amazingly flip-flopping Jane Jonah Jameson. Yeah, the uh, Fantastic Five now go and uh, announce their newest member. And J. Jonah Jameson is like, What? You can't have him on the team. He's a criminal. And Reed Richards is like, Well, screw you, bro, because NASA cleared him of all charges and I'm backing him, so go to hell. J. Jonah Jameson's sort of uh, unnatural fetish with space travel gets the better of him as well. So he's like, You know what? Okay, we'll, we'll let him go. And this leads to another big change where the chameleon never ends up committing crimes as Spider-Man, which make the J. Jonah Jameson-Peter Parker relationship even more solid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden here and then, too, I mean, I guess when the chameleon's, like, not really, like, a big mainstay villain, but he has, like, had pretty prominent roles as a supporting character, especially for some of the mob boss storylines that have continued on in Spider-Man's run. Oh, yeah. So you just gotta wonder, like, how that would have ever gone down without him. But one thing that we do get to see in full graphic detail is Spider-Man's first encounter with the Vulture. Oh, oh my god, that was like the best. I loved that. Yeah, uh, normally Spider-Man faces the Vulture. The Vulture gets away from him, and so it's the well, thing. He kicks Spider-Man's ass and he tries yeah. to drown him in a well. Yeah, and here uh, Spider-Man is getting beaten, but he's with the rest of the Fantastic Five. And yeah, basically, because I mean, as we all remember with the first Prince of the Vulture to beat him, he ends up having to make magnetic uh, webbing to make the Vulture's wings stop working. Or a transistor, rather, or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's with Magnus to make the Vulture's wings stop. Here, Johnny Storm just flies up and just melts his wings. <laughs> and just says, screw you, old man, you're done. And, and the Vulture's like, oh no, I'm dying! From there, we end up going on... They end up going and having their fight with the Red Ghost on the moon, and Which, I never read this. Yeah, I was like, um, that's cool, Red Ghost, the guy from Russia who can turn into a ghost, and he also has super apes. I and mean, super apes are great. I mean, uh, super apes are great. And that's also another one of those great things from the Marvel 1960s, where basically the Russians were the bad guys of everything. I mean, you have things like Crimson Dynamo, I mean, with the red guys. Basically, it was like, yeah. it was the reds. <laughs> yeah, the difference here is that since Spider-Man's there, Sue ends up staying back on Earth, where Namor calls for help. Because magically, there's still only four seats in the Invisible, the Fantastic, I guess. The Fantastic Five. Yeah, the Fantastic Five. Yeah, even though it's yeah, still made for the Fantastic Four. So, like, their rocket ship cannot actually take them all into space. And it becomes just a great recurring joke, but uh, Namor ends up pulling out a hypnofish to hypnotize Sue Storm, and this goes in part with a plan by the Puppet Master to have Namor fight the Fantastic Four and destroy them, I guess. Once again, our lack of familiarity with the early Fantastic Four works is unfortunately evident here. I mean, I do know enough about Puppet Master for the sense of, I just thought it was such a weird convoluted plan of, I'm going to take control of Sue's storm with mind control, but I'm not going to just make a puppet of her because that, I guess, would be too freaking simple. So I'll just make a puppet of Namor to then take control of Sue. 
Yeah, so Namor brings uh, Sue Storm down and has her trapped by Namor's best friend, the mightiest octopus on the planet. And Spider-Man is there, and because the Fantastic Sub only has four seats once again, instead of bringing down Alicia, Puppet Master's daughter, who was dating Ben Grimm at the time, uh, Spider-Man sits in with them instead. Yeah, which I mean, I guess, I guess this is the whole thing too of like, they keep leaving the female out. Now again, since I haven't had the actual issue, my only question is why would Alicia Masters, who is blind, go down with them unless there was some like sort of evidence that was the puppet master beforehand? Because yeah. they don't figure that out here until after they're in Atlantis. So it's kind of like, oh, hey, sweetie, do you want to come down? I mean, you have no powers or like really have no use to our And you can't here. even see what's going on. <laughs> do you want to come down to Atlantis? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, maybe it would be a thing where they thought she could help with Namor or what have you, but uh, instead it's Spider-Man, Reed, Johnny, and Ben. And they get down and... Testosterone is flying. Yes. And uh, Namor ends up pulling out more of his fantastic underwater arsenal, including the Flame Eater, a underwater plant that eats uh, heat, which he just tosses on Johnny. He throws sea urchins onto Reed and then uh, Moss. And uh, yeah, the fight is really not going well, even with Spider-Man on the team. Namor ends up really just taking over the fight until Ben is like, It's Cameron time! And he just bursts through the uh, tank where the world's mightiest octopus has Sue trapped. He makes a horribly sexist comment along the way about how women are nothing but trouble. Oh, yes. Like, yeah. Uh, and I, I was really disappointed in Ben there. I mean, what would Aunt Petunia say about Well, there was the other one, too. It was later. It was after they finally free Sue from this bubble. She's underneath water. And he makes the comment. It was just like, oh, this is the longest time I've ever seen a woman yeah, keep her mouth yeah, shut. And it was just like, holy crap. Like, yeah, it's... I know this is the 1960s, and I know that they still called it out, like, right after. Like, it was like, oh, oh, Ben Grimm. Such a great man with the ladies. And it's just like, yeah, but at the same time, really, guys? <laughs> and uh, here, Puppet Master's like, okay, uh, Namor isn't actually trying to kill them. So he uh, turns the psychic switch up. And Namor is like, Imperious Rex, I have poison gas. And he's going to kill everyone. And Sue is suddenly like, hey guys, you know, it's, it's really abnormal for Namor to actually want to kill us. It's true, because he does love his Susan Storm. Mm -hmm. It's then that the uh, mightiest octopus on the planet breaks out and just crushes Puppet Master's sub, most likely killing him. I'm assuming he's dead. Yeah, because it's so deep underwater. And, uh, he can't... Puppet Master really doesn't have, like, any sort of, like, powers really other than that. Yeah. And he can't make a octopus because it's mindless, so there's no way to take control of it. So yeah, so Puppet Buster kind of screwed the pooch on that one. So I'm pretty yeah. sure, yeah. I don't know what the number is for this Earth designation, but he's gone. Uh, this is World uh, 722. Oh. Nice. Yeah. Which splits off into more worlds, but we'll get back to that in a moment. Because now we are left with the big dilemma. Because Namor wants Sue, Reed wants Sue, and... She is the prettiest girl at the prom, in the word, in the famous words of George Bluth. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sue also realizes, though, that uh, with Spider-Man on the team, 
there's really no need for her, which... Sue, I feel sorry that you have your confidence shaken that much, but, uh, Namor is, except for kidnapping her while under mind control, Namor is kind of the better choice to go here. Yeah, is an... I personally think Namor is always been kind of a stand-up dude. Mm-hmm. He takes care of himself. Uh, he defends what he cares about as well. He protects his people. And He's he a good pro- ruler. Oh, yeah. And then he uh, has Sue get into a device that turns her into an Atlantean so she can no longer breathe air. Yeah, I did think that was kind of weird. I was like, I feel like it was like, couldn't you have decided something to be like you? Or you can do both? But. Well, that's part of his mutant ability. Yeah, but he wasn't a mutant at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Namor's like, hey, well now that I've won, Imperius Rex, and then he smashes the machine and uh, floods the base. And uh, Spider-Man is feeling really bad as the Fantastic Four again head back up to Earth. And Reed is just like, would have happened anyways if he hadn't joined the team? Yeah. And uh, that's where the first What If issue ends. Yeah. No, I guess, I mean, I have a few things with this one. Like, I definitely would not have liked where this story arc would have, like, or, like, I guess this universe would have kept going, for at least some of the characters I enjoy. Mm-hmm. As a Spider-Man person myself, I mean, they really took out the relatability of Peter Parker in this. Yeah, he, it's like, uh, Reed gives him his first check, and without any problem, he's able to give that money to Aunt May, and, like, that whole dilemma is solved, he can probably focus a lot on science and... Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I mean, one of the big things, especially with the early Peter Parker runs, was, like, it was all about him, like, with his, like, struggles with everything with life. It's, like, him trying to get over the fact that Uncle Ben is dead, mostly because of him. Mm-hmm. It's him trying to help his Aunt May, who still, especially in this one, too, still seems more like a grandmother rather than an aunt, just based off of age and appearance. Yeah. But it's like, you're always trying to give, like, help, help up with this, help out with the rent, because, I mean, in a lot of it, like, she ends up, like, pawning, I know, some of her things and some issues to try to help make ends meet. She pawns so many bin rooms. Yes. But with this, I mean, now, now, now the relatability's gone. Like, now mm-hmm. everything's just kind of coming up here. You don't have the Parker luck anymore. Yeah. And, uh, the timeline splits off into three main divergent uh, four main divergent paths here. Uh, and there's only really one that we want to talk about in focus because it's the only real direct sequel. But we will discuss the others in a moment, and that is in What If, Volume 1, Number 21, which is What If Invisible Girl, the Fantastic Four, Mary the Submariner. And, uh, that first issue that we had discussed, uh, was by, uh, Roy Thomas, with pencils by Jim Craig, and uh, Pablo Marcos was the inker, uh, John Costanza was the letterer, and Janice Cohen was doing the colors. And that was in 1976, 1977. It was in that sort of uh, side ear. And uh, the second issue is written by Bill Mantlo with art by Gene Colan, uh, with Bob Wyack uh, uh, inking, Tom Orzakowski lettering, uh, Carl Gaff- Gafford as the colorist. Uh, basically, this one starts off with the classic battle uh, with the Super Scrawl. Except for this time, he kind of gets his ass kicked because he has the wild card of Spider-Man here because he still only has the powers of the actual original Fantastic Four. And he really lacks a lot of the control over it 
But we do get some great mini, uh, great moments. Uh, ben gets uh, tossed on at the Chrysler building. Yes. Reed Richard uh, does a flying squirrel move. and he tries to turn into a hammer. Yeah. Uh, Johnny really doesn't do anything. It's like, oh, I shall blast you with my flame powers because I'm a teen. Slap. Yeah. It's like you're trying to blast a guy who can turn into fire with fire. And then Spider-Man just webs him up and beats the heck out of him. Yep. Which, uh, I mean, even though, and that was, I guess, the other problem I've had, too, with this thing, too, is it kind of took away the, like, the fun aspect of Peter Parker. Because now that everything's kind of coming up his way and he has all this confidence, he doesn't make the jokes quite as much. Yeah. Though he did have the great line, I think, after he captured Super Scroll, which is, oh, none of his powers will work inside my webbing. Except for he still can't turn him invisible so he can hide his shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And uh, what we actually see is that uh, Peter had arrived later uh, than the other members, and Reed in particular is getting really frustrated, but Reed is really just being Reed Richards without Sue. I mean, he's taking off all of that horribly sexist, hateful stuff that he had, that he'd normally heap onto Sue, onto Peter instead. Johnny also kind of became a super dick in this thing, too. So yeah, so we lose the bromance that has been, like, especially... More and more recently flourishing between Peter and Johnny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Johnny just like just goes all off on him. Yeah, and uh, Ben is trying to call for civility here. He's trying to be the just standard, and uh, Spider-Man's like, you know what? I don't I, need I, your crap. Yeah, yeah. and uh, tells him to shove it. Yeah, I, I would love to see more Spider-Man and Ben Grimm. Like Reed is like, well, if you love Spider-Man so much. Why don't you go and team up with him? And I mean, I would love to see that in this universe. But uh, from here, we cut to Atlantis, where uh, Sue Storm actually got married already. And uh, Namor, who is pretty much aquatic Ron Swanson, is there. And Basically. there's just this great panel of Namor in a crown, like the classic white-rimmed uh, king's cloak. He has the Santa cloak on. Mm-hmm. Let's be real real. And it... Totally clashes, yeah, with the speedo, mm-hmm. and like the crown has like it has like one of the ones from um from the from um medieval times where it kind of has like the backing to it as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a sight to behold. It is fantastic, but uh, Sue's uh, married to Namor. She's also very pregnant, and she's missing her family. And so she's like, Namor, I know you guys didn't get along too well. But could you just invite them for the birth of the the kid? And he's like, you know what? Even though I am sort of angry about the Imperious Rex, Imperious Rex, Imperious Rex, I'll go up, I'll extend a sea olive branch, and then we can have them come back here. Yeah, I mean, Namor just kind of—he's so much more chill in this series than he ever was before. He, he's aquatic Ron Swanson getting married to someone who sort of chills him out. Yeah, it really does help. She's his Lucy Lawless. Yes. So this is possibly one of the better universes. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Johnny and Ben are fighting without Sue to really say, hey guys, stop it, we're a family. It just gets harsh. Ben eventually says that Reed is too weak to fight for Sue, and Ben and Reed start fighting, and I mean, they've been friends for ages, and so Ben's like, I'm out of here. It's clobbering time. By myself. It's then that uh, Namor shows up, yeah, basically, he's just like, yeah, bros, I'm here trying to extend this olive branch, do you guys want to come down? And Reed's just like, oh man, totally getting in my way, 
Look at you, you're here to gloat about the fact you stole my woman. It's getting all super pissy, not even listening to Namor. Then next thing you know, he and Johnny just start ambushing him, trying to fight him. Yeah, and Namor's like, whoa, I I'm treating Sue as an equal, and you guys need to get over it, or I am ready to start a war. So what's the best thing to do when someone says they're ready to start a war? Let's edit video footage of it and present it to the United Nations. <laughs> yeah! So we cut to uh, Reed going to the United Nations with a video that he's edited of the best of the worst of Namor, where it's like, Oh, hey, remember that time that Namor sent a giant monster to attack? Remember how Namor is a uh, leader of an underwater kingdom with super advanced technology? Well, here's a video of Namor threatening to destroy us. So what should we do as the United Nations? Let's invade. Yeah! And then Ben Grimm shows up and it's just like, Yeah, boys, you totally doctored that footage. Guys, go listen to him. And everyone's just like, Reed, you're a lion sack of crap. Get out of here. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, have you seen the pilot video for Venture Brothers? Yes. Yeah, where, uh, uh, Dr. Venture has made the ultimate destructive weapon. <laughs> He's like, uh, uh, and the United Nations just kicks him out. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, Reed and Johnny are just publicly humiliated by this. And uh, so Reed's like, you know what? We'll destroy them ourselves. Yeah! Go, Team Venture! <laughs> and, uh... So that's basically what they do. Or yeah. They try to go down there. And, yeah, um, they get into a huge fight with Namor. Of course, Reed has some secret objective. We don't know what it is yet. So mm -hmm. Johnny has to go fight and with him, which he starts beating the crap out of Namor, which is like, remember last issue when he used that, like, flame, like, Seaweed out? Yeah. Like, why don't you just use that again? Well, he's also trying to not kill Johnny, because if he kills Johnny, that would really... But it didn't kill him in the last issue. It just sucked his flame out. It just absorbed it like a sponge. But they're also fighting underwater, instead of within a building underwater. Mm -hmm. So there's that, there's that difference. And uh, Johnny is also willing to kill Namor if he can, yeah, which is the other true. thing. That's sort of taking Namor off guard. Namor's gotten maybe a bit too mellowed. He eventually does beat Johnny, but he's horribly he burned. burned. Yeah. Reed has set up his weapon. He locks himself in with Sue and uh, the midwives. And Sue was just horrified to see him. Well, I mean, I would be too if it's like, if you're like, if you're kind of in a daze because she, I mean, she is about, she's like moments away from giving birth. Yeah. And she hears someone professing her love to her. She thinks it's Namor. Then she kind of <laughs> gains focus and it's Reed Richards. It's yeah. just like, oh God. And uh, Reed activates his weapon, which is going to make it so that Atlanteans can only breathe air instead of water. And his basic thinking is, yeah, with all the Atlanteans having to live on Earth, the entire Atlantean culture is going to dissolve, and Namor is no longer going to be a king, and you won't love him anymore, because he won't be a king. Because Sue's just as shallow as I am. <laughs> Aquatic gentrification. Oh, yeah. Reed Richards, you freaking super dick. Yeah, so, uh... Sue is just pissed off when she hears this, and she smacks Reed down. And well, again, moments away from giving birth. Yeah, well, she uses psychic abilities. Yeah. So. And uh, Namor, meanwhile, is trying to find this weapon, and Reed finally realizes that Namor really was coming in peace, and that Reed Richards was wrong. Which, I mean, happens all the time, but it's just like, oh, God damn it, Reed. And uh, he realizes that Sue loves each other, especially since Namor is willing to sacrifice, sacrifice his own life because his uh, D 
the vice would take away Namor's ability to breathe underwater. Yes. And, uh... So it, like, affects gills or something, which actually confused me a little bit, because when Reed decides to go stop the thing, it negates whatever he was using him to breathe underwater, which was not gill-related, so... It was oxygen pills. Yeah. I, I think it was converting his stuff into aquatic breathing, so then the okay. oxygen would cause... Okay. Issues. But yeah, uh, one of Namor's warlords, Krang, tr dies trying to set it off, or to shut it off. Namor sees that, and he just ends up smashing the machine instead, while Reed is just ready to die. Too bad it didn't happen. Yeah, uh, Reed realizes that he was an asshole, and he heads back to land, and Johnny pretty much swears revenge. Yeah, so I feel like now, yeah. So that's kind of where our story ends. Well, Sue also does give birth to her son, who has a full head of blonde hair. Yes, And true. I found that his name, even though it isn't listed in the comic, is uh, Leonard McKenzie, which is a great name. It's very true. Mm -hmm. And here's where things get a bit weird, because there are three alternate timelines that really just split off of the first one. And those are in uh, What If, uh, Volume 2, Number 35, Paradise X, Heralds, and then Superior Spider-Man number 32. And the long and short of it is, uh, the volume 235 is, yeah, Sue somehow got back, left her child, married Reed, and it makes no sense with the continuity. Uh, the Earth-X Herald sort of follows up on the first issue, but it deals with Paradise-X and Earth-X stuff, which is a headache. And then the last issue Superior is... Superior Spider-Man number 32, where they're just dead. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, the Inheritors came in and massacred them all. Yes. Which is what they tend to do. Though we don't see Sue there, so she may have still ended up with Namor. Well, it's true, yes. And, uh, yeah, so that's the first issue, and... How did you feel about this universe? I mean... I think you have some cool things that could have spun off from it. I mean, one of the things here is, I mean, to me, like, I feel like Johnny Storm is now going to become the supervillain. Which I think would be great. It's, you get that whole rivalry of the original Human Torch and Namor back, except they're on very opposite sides. Yeah. Yeah, completely flipping that around. Mm -hmm. And then again, as I was mentioning too about the bromance between Spider-Man and Johnny, I would just kind of love to see that if they became like Nemesis then. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, both of them would I mean, especially right then, if it would have continued, I mean, they would have been, like, the two big premier, like, teenage superheroes at the yeah. time. Which I feel, I feel like the Marvel people would definitely have then made them clash yeah. relatively frequently. I think it could have become one of his main arch nemesis. And you also have the total disillusion of the Fantastic Four, because yeah. Spider-Man left. Ben Grimm may be willing to uh, come back and work with Reed. But I, I can see Reed just falling back into science and sort of maybe trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. And being the person who Sue might try to be attracted to. But uh, From that, I mean, I mean, especially too, I mean, I think Ben Grimm could be fine because, I mean, he has joined the Avengers in the past, like, in the regular 616 continuity. Mm -hmm. Well, and he's he run could... successful team-up comics before. Yeah, oh yeah, the Marvel 2 one. So it's like, you could easily just have him go off and do his own little thing. He's the Batman of the Marvel Universe in terms of versatility yes and general compatibility yeah uh, i i think it might be possible that reed would actually cure ben especially with uh johnny not getting there the mess of being mentions yes and so i think we'd end up with this world where reed richards has maybe actually solved the world's problems spider-man 
maybe came back to help with science and research. Maybe. Well, I think it would depend how far down the line. Or he is going and writing the Fantastic Five tell-all novel. Yes. Which I could definitely see him writing. Mm -hmm. And then he just lives off of that money for the rest of his oh, life. Oh, absolutely. I think that would have been more interesting, too, because it would have been a little bit interesting, even though, again, as it kind of takes away like his relatability of him being kind of like the outcast hero, which for pretty much for all the other superheroes in the Marvel Universe, he was one of the few who was completely hated by like everyone. I mean, him yeah. and the Hulk are the two that come to my mind. So like it would have been kind of interesting just to see just glimpses of his like heroic feats with the world not hating him for all the things he does. Yeah, and I mean, eventually he'd reach some points of antagonism, but that whole very different re uh, relationship, uh, I don't think Galactus had shown up at this time yet. No. Yeah, so the entire Galactus showing up, yeah, Earth would have been destroyed. Actually, yeah, Earth probably would have been destroyed. Oh, man. Because it was, uh, like, Ben uh, showing Alicia to Silver Surfer, and uh, Johnny ended up getting, or Johnny ends up getting the... Uh, ultimate nullifier. Maybe Johnny teams up with uh, Doctor Doom. Well, I see. I feel like that's also the thing that happens too. Because I feel like it happens like in almost every single like book that Marvel publishes now, with the exception of Rick Remender's Uncanny Avengers, which I really appreciate. Which is, if there's something that's about to completely destroy the Earth, mm -hmm. Doctor Doom is going to be the one who's going to fix the problem. Yeah, because he wants to rule everything. And you can't rule everything when there's no more Earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you would have a uh, Namor who never really teams up with Doom because I, mean, yeah. I think Sue would be easily enough uh, haunted by what Doom has done in the past. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, Earth may not be destroyed there, but you would have this really differing timeline from that point on. There's a lot, there's like a lot of really big moments that I think would have changed from that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, the night Gwen Stacy died. I feel like that probably would have changed as, like, completely and drastically. Well, would Spider-Man have had the same relationship with the uh, Green Goblin? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, there may have been a Green Goblin, but if Spider-Man is doing the uh, tell-all book writing slash sometimes at public appearances, that whole reason for antagonism wouldn't have been there. Yeah. Yeah, all of that, I think, would have just come being completely different. Well, and then there's the other idea that if Peter Parker is making enough money without taking photos, there are no photos of Spider-Man mm -hmm. out there to make him be figure that he is in the same way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he wouldn't be quite as much like the hatred of J. Jonah Jameson, so yeah, therefore there wouldn't be quite as big a spotlight on him. Mm -hmm. So then you wouldn't necessarily have had the, green, the whole Green Goblin following Spider-Man home, which, let's be real, why do you more Super Bowl not think of that? Because mm -hmm. it was so freaking simple. Yeah. But then, yeah, I mean, well, one, would he have even ever dated Gwen Stacy? Because if he had the money and, like, the fame, would he necessarily have even gone to college? Would he have kept his identity hidden? And see, that's the thing. I don't know. Well, if he he uh, hid his identity... Uh, well, it was for Aunt May because he was afraid she was going to have a heart attack if she ever found out. Uh, he can have Reed make her a new heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those really weak examples, but if he's stopping it, and he just disappears from being Spider-Man, where he publicly reveals himself after, like, carefully explaining it to anybody, I think. 
Well, even if he doesn't publicly reveal himself, mm -hmm. he has these ties now. Even if there's like these like strange relationships, like he would still have his friendship. I think with Thing particularly, mm -hmm. and if he really needed help, I'm pretty sure even though they've had their arguments that Reed Richards would help him out. Yeah. So if there was someone to the level of Green Goblin who was antagonizing him, I think he would have had the support that he did, certainly did not have mm -hmm. in those issues. And, uh, yeah, so that is the first issue. We did get one uh, question in from Jeff Stellark, and uh, he went in to ask, do you need questions right now? Thank you, Jeff. Yes, we would have liked questions right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thank you. Uh, you can reach us and send us questions at uh, at MultiversityQ on Twitter or at or or uh, MultiversityQ at Multiversal at Google.com. You can at Multiversal. Multi. Uh, at now we have to edit this because you screwed it up. Oh yeah, it's funny. Of that, right? Okay. But we're keeping this conversation in. Yes, at MultiversalQ uh, on the Twitter and uh, MultiversalQ at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Coltreg, K-O-L-T-R-E-G. And you can find me at, at FredoFett, F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. -T. And, uh, yeah, next week we are going to be discussing one of our favorite alternate universe tales. That would be um, Identity Crisis. No, not Identity Crisis. Identity Wars. <laughs> identity Wars. <laughs> no, we Never Identity Crisis. <laughs> uh, yeah, and our... It's a fun team-up of Spider-Man, Deadpool, and the Hulk. Yes. Uh, taking part in their annuals. And uh, our basic plan is 10-episode cycles The uh, with a pattern of what if alternate university sort of close or alternate universe closed tale and then exiles because i'm a big exiles fan and then every 10th episode will be a special focus on one of the current dc universes because they've only got 52 and we don't want to run through those too quick nope. but we will run through the uh sort of non-canon or destroyed universe stories in some of those second weeks so we'll catch you next week for identity wars See you then. I'd also like to take this moment to give a special shout out to Noel Valet, who did our cover art and was able to get that done a lot quicker than I expected. So that's why this note is on the very end, but we will also be sure to give him a shout out at the end of the second episode. Thank you very much, and we will see you next week.